You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. We, we sing those words, ruler of all. Today we're going to talk about whether we really believe that though. Not just ruler of all the world, not just ruler of the good things in our life, but really even the one who is sovereign and rules over the difficulties of life. The one who is sovereign and rules over the hardship in our lives. Today we begin a journey in the life of Joseph. We're going to begin in Genesis 37, but to read for you this morning, before we sit down, I want you to hear a commentary from the New Testament. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to be stoned to death as a martyr. Listen now to, to his words. Acts 7 verse 9. He says, and the patriarchs, Joseph's brothers, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And God rescued him out of, that, out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. And let's begin to, to sense some of the, the, the intensity of this giant story we're about to, to learn together just from this small section. This small verse, it, it talks about the jealousy of his brothers. Now, let me ask you, anybody here have siblings? Anybody here have siblings, right? I am the oldest of four boys, and, and we have, you know, a, a lot of great memories as brothers, and there's also some maybe not so good memories as brothers growing up in the house. But, but let me ask you, in your household, you don't have to say anything about it right now, what happens in a household when mom and dad pick a favorite? Now, if you've got your kids with you, don't look at them right now, right? What happens in a household if there is one child that, that gets better treatment than all the others? What happens in a household if that household is led not with, with fairness, not with the word of God, but it's led with favoritism? What happens in a household if in that household hatred and bitterness and jealousy is allowed not just to be cultivated, but to thrive and to grow and to become the identity of it. What happens in a family where sin, where sin is large? This is the beginning of our passage and the beginning of our journey over the next eight weeks as we look over this incredible story that's of Joseph. It's really the story of Jacob, even though he seems to be a minor character, but it's really the story of God over Israel, God preparing to rescue them. You see, when we think of the story of Joseph, if you're familiar with it, oftentimes we think of a victim. If you're not familiar with it today, you're going to see that Joseph is victimized more than most of us can imagine. Sometimes when we teach the story of Joseph, we teach it as how this victim became a victor and he, he is victorious over his adversaries. But even then that falls short. Today and over the next eight weeks, we're going to see Joseph as a victim and as a victor, but ultimately we're going to see him as a vessel for God's purposes in this world and specifically for the nation of Israel in that time period. And so I want you to open up your Bibles if you have not already done so. 
This series is going to be a great series to make sure you've brought your Bible. You're going to want to follow along. We're going to cover large passages of Scripture together. It's going to be really beneficial for you to have your Bible. Now, many of the chairs have Bibles under them. If you want to grab one, you're free to do that. I know there's some in the back as well. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you any of the ones you find under the chairs, or there's some Bibles out in the lobby as well. We want you to have one. But let's start Genesis chapter 37. And here is our big idea for today. Here's the the dominant theme that I want us to get engraved in our mind. Here it is. God works out salvation even as sinners work in evil. God works out salvation even as sinners work in evil. Maybe, Maybe there are sinners, people who are outright aimed at evil in your family. Maybe you've experienced injustice in this world. Maybe you legitimately have been victimized. Maybe you're grieving and mourning because of the hurt you've experienced. What we're going to see is in all of that, God works out salvation, even as sinners work in evil. Genesis 37. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin by looking at, at Joseph and his brothers with their dad, Jacob, And then we're going to follow the story as Joseph follows his brothers out into the the far fields in Shechem and Dotham. And then we're going to return back to good old dad's home. And, And really the story is going to be seen in three scenes. The very first scene, here's what we're going to see. God works out salvation in sinful families. God works out salvation when others work in evil. But but really, as we begin these first 11 verses, I want you to see that God, he works out salvation even in sinful families. Verses 1 through 11, follow along with me. It says, Jacob, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. Now, now really quickly, if you're not familiar, Jacob... He is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, who has been given the promises of God to be the father of many nations. This is the family line that Israel comes out of, and this is the family line that the Messiah is going to come from. And so this is, this is a significant family. This is the nation Israel. And so Joseph, he is one of the brothers, one of the sons of Jacob, who God changes Jacob's name to Israel. That's our context here. Verse 2 says, These are the generations of Jacob. And then it just describes, it begins the, the life of Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He he was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zip, Zilpah, now, his father's wives. Now, I'm, quick time out. Uh, Jacob or Israel. He had two actual wives and then two wives that were basically concubines. They were servants of his wives that he ended up having children with. I mean, this you already see, this is a dysfunctional family, right? You think it's tough having one wife? This guy has four, and out of those four, he, he's got 12 sons plus daughters. You can just imagine the family gatherings. You can just imagine... Maybe some of the natural, maybe competition or animosity, but it gets much worse. Follow along. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Why? Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, 
they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, now Joseph, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Now this might be a, an image that you're unfamiliar with, but here's what Joseph says. He says, hey guys, remember he's already the favorite. Daddy always, already loves him more. I, I have this amazing dream. Let me tell it to you. It says, we were all binding wheat and my sheave of wheat, it stood tall, because it's about me, and your sheaves, they all bowed down. The brothers know what he's saying here. He's saying that I'm going to rule and reign over you. That's why they respond the way they do. They say, Are you really think this is going to happen? No. They ask the question twice in a rhetorical form to make it clear they, have, they want no part in this plan. Now you'd think... When Joseph realizes they hate him because of his dream, they hate him because uh, daddy loves him more, and they hate him because he shared the dream, you, you think that he'd start to be a little quiet, but follow along. Watch as the text continues. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to them. He, he didn't keep it to himself. He dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of dysfunction in this family. There's a lot that we can flesh out. But, but here is where I want us to start. I want us to start by, by seeing how a father's favoritism sets the stage for this story. Now, I want you to see the father's favoritism. This text makes it really clear that Jacob or Israel, he loved Joseph more. Now, I would argue that he loves Joseph more for reasons that are good. We're going to see that in a minute. Reasons that Joseph merited it. But but I want to start with how Joseph had an unmerited favor. He had his father's favoritism really beginning not, not for anything he did. If you look at the text, you see in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. Why? Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, son of his old age. This is this is. What the, the reason the text gives us for Israel's favoritism and love for Joseph. See, see, Israel had four wives. And, and he had one wife that it was his favorite wife. This was Rachel. This is who he originally wanted to marry. If you back up in the story, you can read this, right? But Rachel's dad tricked Joseph to marrying Rachel's sister, Leah, right? I mean, 
the complications of this story, right? Like this, it really is strange. In fact, there was a girl here that she's not churched. She was here last night in the service. And most of the, most of the message as I preached it and told the story, she just stood here like this. <laughs> the Bible's not as PG as we might think it is, right? And so you have, you have Rachel is Israel's favorite wife. And Rachel is barren. And so uh, uh, Israel is having children with his other wife and then the servants of his wives. And he's having all these children. And then finally, his favorite wife, Rachel, who has been barren all these years, finally has a son. And that son is Joseph. And so this is a great moment of celebration. But that's not the only son that Rachel has. Rachel ends up having another son, and this son is an even older age for Joseph, just timeline speaking, right? But this is not a son of the same level of joy that we would consider Joseph. Because when Joseph is born, here's what Israel is thinking. My favorite wife has finally had a son. I am thrilled. But when the next son is born, Benjamin, Rachel dies. She dies in childbirth. And so Israel is grieving and joyous at the birth of his final son. And so this is why the text gives us this reason for Joseph. Joseph, his birth is a birth of only joy. Benjamin is one of joy and great sorrow and grief. And so in this love, here's what, here's what Israel does. Israel comes to Joseph and he gives him, the text says, a robe of many colors. In Hebrew, it's two words. The first word means tunic. The second word is actually a little bit harder to translate. It, as it's translated into Greek, they use a, a word for many colors. But the original word, it actually, it actually has a meaning of, of wrists or ankles, it's a tunic that is long. You see, in that day, if you were a man, you would wear a tunic that was short-sleeved and short-legged so you can go in the field and you could work hard and you don't have these long sleeves getting in your way. But guess what daddy gives to Joseph? He gives him a long-sleeved one. Now, maybe it was of many colors, but the point here is he does not have the attire to go and work he more has the attire of someone who's going to supervise. It's like a, with my three kids, if I told my kids, I said, okay, you two kids are going to do all of the work, and then the other one, I'll even pick the youngest, you get to be the supervisor. How do you think that would go over in my household? That's exactly what's happening in this moment. Israel loves Joseph more. And he gives him a, a robe, a tunic that is not meant to go get dirty. This is a tunic that distinguishes him as the one who is not doing the manual labor. And his brothers have what would be a natural human fleshly response. They hate him. They hate him. This is Joseph's unmerited favor, but I would argue Joseph actually has merited favor as well. The text says that Joseph, he brings a bad report about his brothers. Now, sometimes we read this and we say, that tattletale, he was, he was ratting out his brothers, right? But that's probably not the idea here. Joseph is described in, in a positive light here. And so what it really is, is not being a tattletale, but it's more Joseph is willing to tell the truth about the activities of his brothers. And listen, this is, a, this is meant to be a godly family, but really the way these brothers act is pretty godless. 
If you were to back up and read some of their stories, you would find that Reuben, the very firstborn, the one who is meant to have the birthright of his father, Reuben, he was sexually intimate with one of his father's wives, likely the cause of him losing his birthright. You would find that Simeon and Levi, when they find out that a neighboring village, that someone in a neighboring tribe had raped their sister. You know what they do? They go and make a deal with this neighboring village and they say, oh, you know what? Okay, you can marry her and we'll combine tribes, but here's what you have to do. Each of your men have to undergo a medical procedure, the procedure of circumcision. You can look it up if you want, right? Make sure your Google filters are on. Okay, that said... Each of these men in that village, they go and they have to have this medical procedure. And three days after it, as all of the men are laid up recovering, Simeon and Levi go through town and they kill all the men. Go one chapter later, you'll find Judah, who actually is the tribe that Jesus ends up coming from. Judah is caught in grievous sexual sin. See, Joseph, he gave a bad report about his brothers, but his brothers didn't make it very hard. His brothers were not upstanding, God-fearing men. They, by and large, acted godlessly. And we're going to see as the story continues, this gets worse. What we're going to see as the story continues, see, we, we see that the father's favoritism is where it begins, but then we see the brother's hatred consumes them. These brothers, they end up having a hatred for Joseph and it's consuming. Verse 4 says that they could not speak peacefully to them. The, the word there is shalom. They cannot say the word peace to their brother. This is the typical Hebrew greeting. You know how we say, hey, how's it going? They would say, hey, shalom. His brothers could not even say the word peace to him. That's how grievous their hate was toward them. You look in this text three times, it describes them as hating him. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They, they can't speak the word peace. They're full of hate. And then verse 11, it summarizes it. It says, and his brothers were jealous of him. You see, the father's favoritism is setting the household up for great sin. The, the sin of the father is setting the household up for the brothers to have not just animosity, but hate not, not just frustration, but, but bile pointed toward each other. There, there, is, there is no peace. They can't even say the word peace. And in the midst of all of this, Joseph's dreams show God's at work. J Joseph's dreams show that God's working. In ancient days, in ancient days, they didn't have the privilege of this. They, they didn't have the, the canon of Scripture. They didn't have the Old Testament words of the prophets. They didn't have the New Testament words of the apostles. They didn't have this passed down generation to generation. And so in the olden days, in the ancient days, God would speak, and in those days, God would speak through dreams. God would speak through dreams. In fact, when someone would have a dream twice, it was typically thought of God is demonstrating that a 
two-folded dream or a dream that comes twice is demonstrating that God has fixed something and it is inevitable. This is, the, this is the message. God is saying that there is something happening here. He is speaking to Joseph through these dreams. Joseph shares it with his family, and his family, you know what they do? They reject the word of God. They would rather have their hate than trust that God's doing something here. This is, this is a sign, though, of God working salvation even in this sinful family. Now, let's move on, but before we do, I want to... I just want to ask you about your family. I mean, I know we just got through the holidays, which sometimes in the holidays we go and see our family and sometimes we end up seeing family that's hard to see. How many of us in this room, don't raise your hand, how many of us in this room have skeletons in the closet of our family? How many of us have rifts and arguments and drama and tension that has gone years and years and years without even a, 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 a smidge of hope? How many of us are on the edge of losing faith that God is doing something? Listen, this story and where it begins and where it ends, it reminds us of something. Listen to me. God is working salvation even in sinful families. And for those of you that know me, I've got a, a brother that's far estranged. I worry for him. I pray for him. I worry for his physical well-being. I worry for his mental well-being. I, I grieve over the state of his soul. He is far, far away. And it's so easy for me to just let go and give up hope. You know what this reminds me of, though? God works out salvation even in sinful families. This is, this is a story of being a victim, but really there's, a, there's this thread, this undercurrent of hope that I want you to grab onto before we move on. See, not only does God work salvation in sinful families, but, but keep going with me. You'll see that God, God works salvation in evil situations. God works salvation in, in evil, heartbreaking, destructive situations. You see, this, this hatred the brothers have, this root of bitterness, we're going to see that it ends up blooming into fruit. Follow along with me. Pick back up in verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 30. It says, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, this is Jacob, this is the father. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. And he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found Joseph wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? Joseph says, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went, Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Well, let's keep going. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, 
He rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and myrrh uh, and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him into the, to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of sil- silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to that pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Now again, there's, there's a lot going on here. But this is actually a passage of contrast. I want you to see the contrast between Joseph and in the light the scripture is painting him in. And I want you to see the contrast with his brothers and the darkness that the scripture is painting them in. Let's start with Joseph. I want you to see this passage. It actually shows Joseph's faithfulness increasing. Look at where it starts. Their father comes to him and he says, I've got a big task for you. Joseph, 17 years old, says, I want you to go 50 miles to go check out to make sure your brother and the flocks are okay. And look at Joseph's response. Joseph didn't say, in a minute, what happens in your house if your kids say that to you, by the way? Joseph didn't say, oh, can I finish this, this video game I'm on? Or can I finish watching this TV show? Or, oh, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with my friends, dad. Can we do it later? What did Joseph say? He said these words, here I am. The, the point here is Joseph was willing to obey and he was going to obey immediately. The scripture is showing us that Joseph isn't just the favored son who does nothing. Joseph is, he's the favored son, yes, but he is the obedient, the faithful son. In fact, the text continues. Joseph goes to Shechem. His brothers are not there. Guess what? His task is technically completed. He can check the box. He can come back home and say, I don't know where they went, dad. But you know what he does? He goes the extra mile. He finds out where they are. They're in Dothan. So he continues his travels to go find them. He could have gone home, but he increases his faithfulness. This text is painting Joseph in glowing light, demonstrating that Joseph is, he's faithful. His faithfulness is increasing. But part of the reason why it shows us that is because it wants to demonstrate that the bitterness of his brothers is deepening. That their hearts are growing darker. Look, look, at, look at these brothers I mean, the, the root of bitterness already exists, right? The root of bitterness is planted by their father's favoritism. I mean, favoritism, let's just be honest, that kind of favoritism in the house, it would be hard for those brothers to not have any bitterness whatsoever. But here's the problem. They don't check that bitterness. They don't repent of that bitterness. They don't fight that bitterness. This bitterness that begins as a root, it begins to grow. And the root of bitterness, which is the father's favoritism, it turns into the shoot of bitterness, which is their hatred. Over and over again, they hated him. They hated him even more. They hated him even more. 
They couldn't speak peacefully to him. They were jealous of him. The root of bitterness, it grows into the shoot of bitterness. And you know what that result is? The fruit of bitterness, which is murder. They have murderous intent in their heart against their brother. The text is masterful. The text is amazing. The wordplay in, in the original language. It's interesting. Verse 20, they say, Come, let us now kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we, we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured. Think about that word devoured. This is their plan. They do throw him into a pit. And after they throw him into a pit, verse 25, you know what they do? It says, Then they sat down to eat. The text actually in Hebrew is they sat down to devour. It's the same word. The text is making a point that it's not a wild, fierce animal that's devouring their brother. They, they are devouring their brother. They are harboring this murderous intent. They are evil and their bitterness is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Just try to imagine this moment. Genesis 42 gives us a picture of it. Genesis 42, I don't want to give you a spoiler, so I'm just going to read a section of it. But Genesis 42, these brothers are remembering this moment when they throw their brother in the pit. Listen to what they say. It says, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. They saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Try to picture this moment. They, they see their brother coming from a distance. Joseph walks up to them, hey guys, and maybe with even out a word, their hands are upon him. They're ripping his robe off. They're dragging him over to a pit and they're throwing him in it. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? You imagine maybe even their words at that moment. Joseph, you dreamer, your dreams are done. We are going to kill you. Joseph, you know what we're going to do with this fancy robe of yours? We're going to dip it in blood. We're going to take it to dad and you're going to be dead. And the text in Genesis 42 says that he begs them. Judah, Reuben, Levi, what are you guys doing? I'm your brother. But they can't hear it because their bitterness has become so deep overwhelmed them. I, I think this is, this is an important moment to stop and remember for, for those in Christ that this is a constant battle we must always face. We must win the bitterness, the root of bitterness. Hebrews 12 reminds us of this. Hebrews 12, 15 says, says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Look at this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. It says, don't fail to obtain grace and then in the same breath, it says, don't let there be a root of bitterness. You, you, these two go hand in hand. Uh, obtaining grace, knowing grace fights against bitterness. You know what that means? Grace is this idea that God has forgiven you when you didn't deserve it. When you and I were wretched in our sin and our rebellion against God, maybe even right now, if that's where you are and you've turned your back against God, God gives us grace. He forgives us. And he says, and do not harbor unforgiveness in your own heart. Don't have a root of bitterness. 
This is a good moment for us to just stop and let's just apply this for a moment. What's in your heart right now? A few moments ago, we talked about the tensions in family. How easy can it be to harbor bitterness against a brother or a sister or a, a parent or, or a child who has done wrong against you? And so you just hold that bitterness so tight. What about in the church? You've been hurt by someone in the church? If you're in church very long, it happens. It's guaranteed to happen. The question is, what do you do after that? Do you hold that grudge? Do you allow that root of bitterness to grow and not just to be a root, but become a shoot and maybe even produce the fruit of bitterness? What about with your spouse, your husband or wife? Maybe you guys act like things are good, but you know that there's unforgiveness between you. You know you're holding on to something. You know you're, you're holding them down with whatever it is they've done that you've been unwilling to forgive. What about at work? When your coworkers did real evil to you, they wronged you, and they wronged you terribly, and you just carry around that bitterness against them. What about your neighbors? Don't let the root of bitterness, don't let it spring forth. Don't let it grow. As a believer in Christ, Jesus says things like this. He says, forgive because you've been forgiven. He says, he says if you don't forgive, you won't be. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, he says that you are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. He says with the same level of forgiveness that God has given you, you are to offer that to others. This is the opposite of bitterness. This is the calling of walking in Christ. Let me ask you one more time. If I were to peer into your heart, would I find forgiveness generously granted? Or would I find that, that weed of bitterness growing strong? This text, it makes us pause and it, it reminds us not to, not to follow the path of bitterness of these brothers. We see where that can end. But, but here's the other thing this text reminds us of. It reminds us that we can expect God's faithfulness in an evil situation. These two kind of go hand in hand. If you have been hurt, if others have done evil, if you are a legitimate victim, I know we have a world where everyone wants to be a victim because being a victim gets you a whole lot of attention. But listen, if you are a legitimate victim, if someone has done evil to you, that's wrong. That's not right. That's not supposed to happen. But listen, even when others do evil to you, you can expect God's faithfulness. This is not the end for Joseph. We're not going to get to the very end until we get to chapter 50, but, but, but I've hinted at it already. Joseph is a story of being a victim, yes, of being a victor, overcoming, yes, but more than anything, Joseph is a story of being a vessel used by God, even though he had to endure great hardship and tremendous pain. We can remember that today. Even as we're going through great hardship in tremendous pain, God is working salvation even when evil or sinners work evil. God is working salvation in sinful families. God is working salvation in evil situ situations. But let's keep going. And let's remember also that God is working salvation in your great mourning. 
I'm not talking about have a great morning with a cup of coffee and your Bible open. I'm talking about great morning, like sorrow and grief and trauma. Look at where the story picks up, verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify it. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and he said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. Daddy, it's okay. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Again, let's, let's just slow down for a minute. Let's, let's pull apart a few of the key aspects of this. There's a lot going on here. I think first thing I want us to see, these brothers have committed great evil, and because they've committed great evil, their life has changed big time. You see, evil deeds often lead to deceptive living. Listen, they have to go and lie to their father now for the rest of their lives with him. They have to go and maintain this lie. Why? Because of their great sin. This is what it's like to walk in sin, church. When we say, I'm going to hide my sin, we have to hide it forever. They are unwilling to confess. They're unwilling to repent. They're unwilling to live transparent. And so now they live in the trap of constant deception. You ever live that way? When you told a lie, so then you had to remember that lie, and then you had to tell another lie, and then you had to tell another lie, and then it led to another lie, and then it led to another lie, and all of a sudden you find yourself so far down this hole where all it seems like you're doing is trying to maintain the cover of your sin. This is how sin works. They now are committed to a life of deception. Now, this is, this is a family tradition for this family. I don't have the time to go into it. But, but Jacob, their father, his actual name, the idea of being an ankle grabber, he was a deceiver himself. Dad set the precedent. He set the precedent. But not only do evil deeds often lead to deceptive living, I want you to see in this, their evil deeds, it often leads to, to others' pain. They committed the sin, but who ends up carrying the pain? Now look with me again at their father's response. Look back up at verse 33. Jo Jacob identifies it and he says, this is my son's robe. He, again, a fierce animal has devoured. There's that word again, devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces, the word torn there. And then the next thing it says, and then so Jacob, he tears his garments. He puts on sackcloth on his loins, which is a, a, an uncomfortable, scratchy surface kind of garment, right? And it says he mourns for many days. Now listen, all of his kids come to comfort him. They all come put their arm around him. Hey, dad, can I get you some tea? Do you want a cup of coffee? Can I, can I make you your favorite meal? Hey, we're here for you, dad. We love you, dad. What does dad say? He says, I will go down to Sheol mourning my son. He says, I am going to mourn him till the day that I die. I think we forget this, don't we? 
I think we forget that when we sin, we're not the only ones that are impacted. Our, our sin is like taking a rock and dropping it into a pond, a big old boulder, dropping it into a pond, and that ripple effect that goes out across the surface of the water, that ripple effect happens spiritually in the lives of those we love. We lie to ourselves. Say, the sin's only about me and God. It's not hurting anyone. But it is. Evil deeds impact others' lives. Evil deeds bring great pain. Best case scenario, you are living in hidden sin. No one knows. You think it doesn't impact anyone at all, but here's what it does. It takes you out of the game of being the man or the woman you are called to be in the life. You won't have the real impact you could. You'll never know the impact you could be making in their life because you're holding on to your sin and that ripple effect is scattered across your family, across your church, across your life. The evil deeds, they, they often impact others with pain. But the last thing in this section I want you to see, I want you to see that the evil deeds, they're only temporarily hiding God's sovereign plan. This feels like the story is ending on such a terrible note, but look at verse 36 again. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You know what this is? Joseph is now a servant in one of the most powerful houses in the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. This means he is the, likely the chief executioner. He is of great military importance. He is really the bodyguard for Pharaoh. He is the chief highest one. And this Joseph, this shepherd from the, the hills of Canaan, he is now living in one of the most significant houses in, the, in Egypt. God, God's doing something. Uh, let me take you back to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 9, where we began this morning's message. It says, and the patriarchs, this is Joseph's brothers, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. You just let those words sit with you for a minute. But God was with him. Joseph's in slavery. Joseph's in Egypt. Joseph's estranged from his family. Joseph has experienced the, the sinfulness of a family. Joseph has experienced the evilness of a great evil situation. And his family, his father in particular, is experiencing the pain of mourning. But listen, God is with Joseph. And you know what this pattern really does for us? Ultimately, this is a pattern that points us to the cross of Jesus. Think about Joseph, an innocent man suffering. How much more did Jesus? Joseph was a sinful man. Joseph's not perfect. But, but listen, Jesus is completely perfect. And Jesus, he suffered unjustly. Joseph suffered unjustly. Jesus suffered unjustly when he took your sin and my sin, when he carried it to the cross and he, through his death, he paid, paid the price for our sin. So through his death, we have forgiveness. 
And then Jesus is buried, and then Jesus is resurrected. And through his resurrection, everyone who believes in him doesn't just have their sin forgiven, but is given eternal life. They are made new. They are made whole. Listen, Joseph is a story where God's going to use great evil for great good, but Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment where God uses the greatest evil against the only innocent man for the most amazing good you can ever imagine the salvation of anyone and everyone who believe. Have you experienced that yet? Have you trusted in the great work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Have you got to the spot where you're willing to say, I realize that I'm more like Joseph's brothers than I want to admit, and I need forgiveness for my sin. I need hope. That hope is given. That forgiveness is freely offered because of what Jesus has done. That's that's what this passage reminds us of. It reminds us that God is working salvation even when sinners work evil. Let me go back to your family. What's going on in your family? What is the, the sinfulness and the brokenness of your family? I know your family has something. Every, everyone I know, there is some skeleton in the closet, there is some pain, there is some drama. In the moment right now, will you take your eyes off of that pain and that drama and will you trust that God is working salvation behind the scenes? Will you trust there's hope for your family? What about for the evil you're experiencing in life? Maybe it's the evil of other people. Maybe it's the evil, the natural evil of some sort of sickness with your Maybe it's even like financially you're struggling and you're just feeling hardship and pain. Will you take your eyes off of whatever situation it is and will you put them on Christ and will you trust that God is working salvation even in the evil of this world? Especially for those who are mourning. I know many of you are grieving. I, I think we've all lost loved ones over the last few years. Our hearts are grieved with pain and sorrow. And sometimes we feel a lot like Jacob where we say, I'm going to go to my grave mourning. Right now, will you take your eyes off of that pain? Will you turn your attention to the crucified and risen Savior? And will you remember that behind the scenes, God is working out salvation even in your mourning? In fact, why don't you take this next moment Just close your eyes, bow your head. Take a moment to go to the Lord. Take a moment to go to him in the sweetness of his grace and mercy. Take a moment to to bring your heart and whatever pain and whatever sorrow and whatever grief and whatever hurt you have, just come and bring it all right before him and say, God, here it is. I trust that you're at work in this mess. Heavenly Father, earlier this morning we sang those words, how great thou art. God, we repeat those words right now in prayer. We, we just recognize the greatness, the greatness of you. 
that you are a God who works salvation even in the most heartbreaking of circumstance. That you are a God who brings salvation even in the most sinful of family dynamics. That you are a God who brings salvation and hope even in the pain and mourning that we experience. Father, I pray that that truth would shine bright into every one of our hearts and minds this morning. Father, I pray that we would, we would, as we recognize your grace and your goodness, that we would let go of the bitterness that we cling to. Father, I pray that we would, we would not follow in the footsteps of Joseph's brothers, but instead we would maybe even take our eyes off Joseph and we would turn our eyes to Christ and that we would remember the incredible grace that we have in Jesus, that all of our evil has been forgiven and that all of our pain can find hope through his death and resurrection. Father, I pray you would solidify this truth in us. I pray that this truth would cause us to rejoice. I pray this truth would cause us to to seek after healing in relationships. I pray this truth would help us to endure the difficulties we face. And God, as we do these things by your spirit, we pray that you are honored and glorified with our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.